Welcome to Living Faith United Methodist Church. We are located on 53 Grove Street in Putnam, Connecticut. Our worship service is at 10 a.m. on Sundays. As you listen to this message, we pray that you are blessed and discern how you can serve our God and neighbors. If you want to know more about our church and how you can be part of ministries of mission and outreach, please visit our church website at livingfaithumc.net. This morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. In my former church, I had a parishioner named Dick. He was, uh, he used to drive the school bus, and then he switched his job to be a UPS truck driver. After he retired, um, one day he invited me to go and see his wife, Shirley at the nursing home in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. As a newly appointed pastor, I happily said yes and and followed him. As we entered the facility, we found Shelley in the common room where the staff was doing some activities with the residents. Dick sat next to Shelley and gave her a kiss. I thought for seconds that that was such a lovely thing to see these two elderly people showing some signs of love and affection. But the kiss was followed by some confusion on Shirley's face saying, who are you? See, Shirley was dealing with the Alzheimer's 
and often did not know why she was at the facility. Regardless, Dick went to the nursing home almost every day, every day during the week, and spent at least three or four hours with Shelley. And I could see at the time that he had become a big part of that facility in the life of this uh, nursing home as all the staff and the families of the resident there, they recognized him and say hi to him. After a few minutes or so, Shirley would finally recognize that Dick is her husband. Or maybe just she was happy that there was somebody to take care of her and was holding her hand. At the end of the day, when Dick was about to leave, she would ask this question. What do you want me to do here? Why are you not taking me home? To be honest, I have not thought about the people with dementia or Alzheimer's until recently. Well, I thought that they're just ordinary members of the church who could enjoy you know, pastor visit from time to time. To be honest, I sometimes feel uncomfortable because I do not know how to react when the person I'm sitting with does not answer my questions, or I cannot have some cognitive conversation with that person. In a way, I feel powerless, not being able to control how this conversation will go. Maybe we feel powerless when we sit with another person, or even by ourselves in silence, because silence makes us uncomfortable. So we try to fill the void with any kind of music or just turn the TV on, just listen to any, any channels. According to Kenneth Corder, whose book I recently came across and read, our ministry with the people with the dementia is not just one of the important things the church needs to do, but it actually redefines what it means that we are called the people redeemed and saved by God's grace. Ministry with the people with the dementia defines what it means that we are saved people. Carter shares his story that he noticed some poignant differences in his wife, Linda, with whom he had married about 50 years. During a Monday, Thursday service, which is the, you know, the night that you know, Jesus shared his last meal and later he was arrested, Carter went to the service with his wife, Linda, and they went forward to receive the communion. But Linda was confused and did not know what to do. When she had done communion so many times, like countless times as she had grown up as Christian all her life. On their way home, Carter tried to explain Jesus' last supper and sacrament. But Linda asked, who is Jesus? The next day, Carter took Linda to the hospital for some testing, and the doctors and the nurse and and the social worker sat with them with some grave concerns on their face. The doctor shared with them the diagnosis. Linda has frontotemporal dementia. Frontotemporal dementia affects the frontal lobe of the brain where 
executive function is controlled. And on their way home, Carter tried to comfort Linda by saying, we are in this together. But the condition of Linda started changing dramatically soon, and her behaviors and personalities also changed, showing frustration, anger, compulsiveness, irritation, restlessness, combativeness, and, and inner turmoil. Worst of all, she was even forgetting who Jesus was, although she grew up as Christian all her life. In many mainline churches like us, where the Catholic or Baptist church, we hear the word justification by faith. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's not by the works that we do, but by our faith in the love and mercy and the righteousness of God that we are saved. However, how does this theology work, the Christian doctrine, apply to those who have no memories whatsoever they went to church or they had a faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord? Maybe someone can say, well, you know, maybe as long as this person believed in God before and was saved by the grace of God, you know, she's all right. John Wesley said that after we are justified by the grace of God, we are called to grow in our love for God and neighbors, aiming to be perfect in our love as God is perfect in God's love. It's all good Christian doctrine. However, people with dementia are not only unable to verbally affirm Christ as their Savior, but also they are unable to go to read the Bible or go to service and and participate in some ministries to serve other people. So let me ask you a question. Does that mean that these people are not Christians anymore? When someone is diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, being confused who they are, people often tell their families, well, the person you used to know is long gone. He's just mine. His mind is just gone. He's not the same person they used to know. You gotta let go. We believe that we believe that as long as the people with the dementia are provided some good medical care, they are fine. Keeping them cleaning and giving them some good medications is the best we can do for them. No matter how often we go see them, no matter how long we stay with them, it won't make any difference to them because they don't know we say. And that brought some memories to me in my early ministry. And I was invited by a local assisted living facility to come and lead a worship service for the elderly on Wednesdays. They had a small chapel with the old electronic organ. I mean, since we did not have a musician, you know, guess what I did? I preached the sermon, I also played the music too. Normally, it would get between five or six residents. I noticed that most of them had hearing aids. I often felt like I was in the empty room by myself, just singing myself and preaching to nobody. But one day, after service was over, this elderly woman, whom I'm not even sure she understood what I was talking about, she held my hand strongly. 
as if she was saying thank you for coming. You know, we think that faith is just what we do with our mind. But Carter challenges that it's more than just our mind, intellectual thing. It's a holistic thing with our heart, with our body. He says that notion of faith as being understood only as cognitive, intellectual, or individual scent is wrong because we often express our faith and love with our bodily emotions, facial expressions, affections, and song, or even dance. Moreover, faith is not nurtured just individually. As Christians, we enter a discipleship actively by being baptized, where one feels welcome, affirmed, and loved as they are. Faith is not just an individual thing, but it's a communal thing. And therefore, Carter says in his book, it's the community that receives and embodies God's presence and power to create, reconcile, forgive, and transform. It is in community that individuals are formed and sustained in God's saving grace. You know, from time to time, we go through a phase in our lives when we cannot say, confidently that we have a strong faith in God. When we have a tragedy in our family that leads to loss of a beloved one, it's hard to affirm that we have a strong faith in God. Although some of us, we do. When we observe the suffering of the innocent in this world, it's often difficult to say that we have strong faith in God. In one, in one undated letter, Mother Teresa writes, my God, I have no faith. I'm told that God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great, nothing touches my soul, she said. In times, however, when we cannot have solid faith, we realize that there are other people who carry us on their shoulder. There are people who pray for us, there are people who pray for our faith to grow. There are people who remember us. So Carter argues that although people with dementia are placed on the margins of society, often neglected and diminished as less than human being, they are still mediators of God's salvation to us, as God has chosen the weak, the vulnerable, the powerless, as preferential recipients and means of God's grace-filled action, he says. The people with the dementia reveal what is broken by our society today as we often consider human beings as only those who work autonomously and contribute to the society with their product. In the eyes of God, everyone, especially people with dementia, are still they beloved children of God, created in the image of God. Although our world confirms, confines the people with the dementia to the medical facility because they forget their past, God calls us to care for them, not to make them forgotten, because it is God who knows them. It is God who remembers them. Even churches sometimes place people with the dementia on the margin of their church life. 
we do not know how to engage with them. Often we think that it's just pastor's duty to go and see these people, but we do not extend the invitation to the everyone for the rest of the congregation. We often shape our theological languages as if a people need to accept Christ as a Lord or just verbally and cognitively to be saved from their sins and brokenness and go to heaven. However, as we, we as Christians often forget that it is by the grace of God that we are saved from our sins and brokenness. And the grace is none other than God who offers God's self to us. As Christ said, take it, this is my body. Drink from this, because this, my blood, my new covenant for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Kenneth Carter, the person I've been talking about all along my sermon, is actually a retired bishop of the United Methodist Church. He was elected bishop in 1992 and served the Nashville and Mississippi areas until he had a heart attack himself, which forced him to retire from the Episcopacy. In 2004, he joined the faculty of the Duke Divinity School in North Carolina, which is a prestigious position to aspire for many scholars. However, at this point, the diagnosis of dementia for his beloved wife, Linda, again led him to become a full-time caregiver. If we think about it, in the eyes of the world, they value success and privilege and power. He is a someone who had everything going on for him. I'm sure that many pastors or scholars, they were jealous of him. But his theological struggles later after his wife Linda was diagnosed with dementia. His struggles and questions, laments and prayers and reflection while caring for his wife Linda has led to his book that reaches the hearts of many pastors and laitis. It calls the church to extend the invitation to everyone pastorally and prophetically. Carter says that God calls the churches to go toward the lowly, neglected, and the diminished in this world. A few months ago, I shared with you in my sermon that I was thinking about starting a ministry next year. They invite children from divorced families to come and, and share their stories and possibly find healing for 12 weeks. It is called Care for the Divorce Kids. And recently I have found another creative ministry, not just mentioned in Carter's book, but also shared by United Methodist News. It's a ministry called Respite, offered at First United Methodist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. This church offers a program for people with the, the early stage of dementia. And they help for the caregivers to take some break and rest for a couple of hours. They offer programs and to stimulate the brains and of the patients, help them meet other people who share their struggles, and above all, they remind them that they are not forgotten by God who knows them by their names. So I'd like us to watch the video. I was, by touched, I was very touched by the, a lady who said that whenever I walk here, I see a God. I'm 
the faces of people. In the gospel reading for today says that Jesus says, I came to this world not to be served, but to serve others. Who is God sending us to serve today as we call ourselves Christians and the followers of Christ? I want to finish my sermon with a story about Dick again, that I introduced in the beginning of my sermon today. Another day, I followed Dick to see Shirley at the nursing home again. During the activity time, Dick asked if the staff could play the music that he brought with him that day. When the music started, Dick asked one of the staff to dance with them. As they were circling and dancing, I knew instantly that Dick was um, dancing for Shirley. As she was bound to her chair and could not dance anymore. As Dick danced, I could see that he had so much joy on his face. Maybe remembering all those years that he used to dance with her. Other staff and the resident and the families, including Shelley, they were smiling, were giggling. A year after I came to Living Faith, I was notified that Dick passed away. He was 89 at the time. And I knew at the time in my heart that his concern until his death was who was going to take care of Shelley after he was gone. And I read that Shelley also passed away this past winter and went into eternal home. I still remember the dance that day. And as Dick was dancing with the Shelley in his heart, I know that it was also Christ who was dancing with them in that room. Although we might get forgetful, neglected, or diminished, God never forgets us. God remembers, and as a matter of fact, God even knew us before we were born. And it is God who will be with us until the end, and even after this world. Thanks be to God and God's people.